This is an audio transfer from what was originally a YouTube video. Uh, the video features both Bud Hopkins and John Mack talking about the UFO abduction phenomenon. The actual title of the YouTube video is Exploring the Alien Abduction Experience, Bud Hopkins and John Mack. Uh, easily searched out. I will give a link directly in the show notes here. I am posting this audio excerpt purposely because I think that the information is important and I find that uh, I'm less interested in watching YouTube videos than I am uh, listening to audio. Uh, I find that I can listen to audio while I'm driving or uh, you know, doing other things in the house. I do not like to be sitting in front of the computer for one full hour watching a video. There's very little that you're missing by not seeing the the imagery, uh, both Bud and John and a host are on a stage in what looks like a college auditorium. Uh, along about halfway, they start taking some questions from members of the audience. This is a one-hour audio transfer. I, f I found the information quite valuable. It was recorded originally, I think in Boston, in 1997. Please enjoy. Around the world, men, women, and children of sound mind are reporting an extraordinary experience. One type of experience has been repeatedly related, an experience with a consistent narrative structure that has come to be called an alien abduction. It may be day or night. People may be in bed or driving in their car when their environment fills with a strange light. They report being taken from their surroundings by beings of unknown origin, often passing through the very walls around them, moving through the air and into what is sometimes described as a ship. In this new environment, they describe the presence of beings of generally humanoid appearance, with transfixing almond-shaped eyes and thin, narrow faces, some of whom may seem almost familiar. They describe being subjected to a series of physical examinations and medical-like procedures apparently involving the taking of sperm and ova samples. Telepathic contact is reported with these beings who may attempt to soothe the individual's panic with a stare or an instrument or with a simple touch. Often a visionary element is conveyed visually or telepathically depicting images of life on earth being threatened with extinction by natural or man-made forces. Subsequently, Men and women alike may describe being presented with a child whom they understand to be their own, and who seems to be a hybrid offspring of the person and these beings. Upon their return, they may report discovering strange markings on their bodies and unexplained burn marks on the ground. These experiences challenge people's beliefs about the nature of the world. Thank you. Good evening. I think of this as sort of um, uh, our own little Berkeley Street X-Files. Uh, uh, let's call it the alien connection. Um, it may be about good aliens or bad aliens or real aliens or imagined aliens. I, I just want to be clear, I'm not a partisan. Uh, I think my job tonight is simply to catalyze the conversation to keep it uh, on track. It's most certainly not to be the arbiter in any way or the judge of whatever truth develops on the stage this evening. The good thing tonight is that our principal guests are both famous researchers and best-selling writers on the subject. My friend John Mack, as everybody here knows, is a clinical psychiatrist and a professor of psychiatrist at Harvard Medical School. He was also a celebrated writer 
before the whole alien abduction subject came into his ken, he won a Pulitzer Prize for his uh, a Pulitzer Prize for biography. No, no small prize for his life of T. E. Lawrence, Lawrence of Arabia. The book was called *A Prince of Our Disorder*. But Hopkins is the man who, among other things, brought John Mack into this field. Bud Hopkins is a painter and a sculptor. He was drawn into the abduction research field 20 years ago. By now, he has tracked down 600 reports of these experiences with aliens. It was his seriousness and his good faith, as well as his evidence, that persuaded John Mack to take a harder look. And then it was the abductees, the experiencers, and their stories who convinced both of them in somewhat different ways, as we'll hear tonight, uh, that something was going on here and that serious attention had to be paid. My question for John Mack and Bud Hopkins is, is, is beginning to end. What is your definition of the reality in which you, you think these things are happening? Are we talking real, real happenings in time and space that can be verified as other such things can be. And if not that, how is this reality different, say, from dream reality? Is this the same dimension of reality as alien abduction? I think we're all ready to meet the principles, and I just ask them onto the stage, Bud Hopkins and John Mack. John Mack, the author of Abduction. Dr. John Mack. Thank you. I want to thank uh, Chris for taking this on and being uh, willing to show up here in Boston and with a couple of disreputable characters like Bud and me and uh, shows his courage uh, and uh, pioneering spirit. I also want to express my appreciation to Bud uh, for, well, I don't know if I really feel this way actually, I'm not so sure I am appreciative that he introduced me to this field. I mean, it's been a lot of trouble actually. Uh, um, but I have deep fondness and admiration for his pioneering role and spirit in this. What, what I'd like to see happen here tonight is that we really deepen some questions. I happen to be very interested in the reality question or the ontological question as it's formally called in, in philosophy. And I hope to arouse and deepen your curiosity about all of this. Um, now what happened to me with, with Bud is that uh, somebody asked if I wanted to meet him. This was the fall of 1989 and I, I'd never heard of him. And uh, they said, well, he's this guy that works with people who think they've been taken by aliens into space. Summer only lasts 93 days. That's just 2,232 hours to get out there and spacecraft. And I said, he must be crazy if he believes that, and this must be some new form of psychosis. Well, I had a couple of free hours, and I went to see him, and I liked him. He seemed sincere. He didn't seem crazy at all. And he was telling me about people who were telling stories that they didn't believe themselves, that they were questioning. They sounded like pretty healthy people, which I've seen now, uh, now worked intensively with uh, about 130 of these people, is that the stories are consistent. They are described with intense feeling, appropriate self-doubt, 
They are shocked when they hear other people have had the same experiences because that tends to affirm that it's real. They have nothing to gain by this. And they don't seem to fall into any category whatsoever. And as I've gone more deeply into this, uh, this is held up. Now, the fact that what they are describing isn't possible in our reality is not my fault. Uh, the, what, you then have a choice of trying to stretch what you might consider to be possible at that point. First, you have the event level element. Now, I, I say, I'm, I believe overall this is a phenomenon of enormous complexity, meaning, and value for understanding of ourselves, who we are in the universe, and we're just beginning to grasp what this is about. So there aren't going to be answers here tonight, just deepening questions. First is the event level aspect. This is the sort of traumatic part, uh, this mixture of subjective and objective elements that have to do with the intrusive, rape-like aspect for some people. The physical evidence is there. It's part of the picture, and it works together with the subjective evidence to create this picture. The trauma is not just what has happened. It's also what I call ontological shock. In other words, to the person having that experience, this is no more possible for them than it is for us. So we struggle together with that question. The second important element, from, in my perspective, is the information that occurs, and a great deal of this does have to do with the ecological aspect. In other words, the showing of the images, panorama of the planet destroyed, vast pollution, the earth destroyed on television-like monitors, through the eyes, in voice, mind-to-mind communication by the beings. And this has an enormous impact on the consciousness of the individuals, so much so that it affects deeply their choices in their lives. And I do believe this is not just deception, but I believe it's an important part of the phenomenon itself. And I see this in case after case. Uh, next, you have uh, what I call the spiritual aspect of this phenomenon. This is the sense that people have that they're somehow being open to source, returning to their, their what they call home with a capital H, the, the spiritual origin of, of all that is. And they feel that they are brought closer to that, and many experiencers feel that that's a fundamental part of this experience, that they're brought closer to the depth of being, the, uh, the, the Godhead, whatever you want to call it, there's different uh, language uh, for this. Here's one uh, young woman's way of describing this. She said, I think Source's purpose for letting that happen, that is allowing the aliens to come, is to bring back memory of us, of Source, to empower ourselves. I think it's almost like a baby going from crawling to walking and realizing that I am. That's what I think Source's reason for this, I am. And a fourth element, which is, again, uh, something where I think Bud and I differ, is the relationship between the... And there is not one type of alien perceived. The most common of these grays with the big black eyes, which I'd never heard of when I started this work, but there are also various other kinds of beings. And Bud sees the relationship as cold and different um, in his autobiography which he's sharing with me he wrote at the very first page he said the mystery of those cold creatures who have come here from god knows where subverting our truths and violating our planet well there is that element in the beginning but in my experience if you work with the terror with the person you 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 work with the mystery you have them sort of put the nose of the the prow of the self into the phenomenon that it does transform that it does become more spiritual that that growth does occur and sometimes 
there can be this, in not just this sort of transient sense of loving connection that is manipulated, but some deepening bond that lasts throughout this relationship across these dimensions, and that this is, is a very deep, powerful phenomenon. Why is there so much resistance to accepting or at least uh, realizing what's going on? And I think at the heart of this, even more fundamental than the terror of the helplessness, the lack of control, we, we know that it represents that and people don't, you know, are afraid that they can't protect their children and, and uh, that, that this is a, is a kind of um, intrusive, overwhelming kind of phenomenon. But I think even deeper than that is, is this ontological problem in that this absolutely defies our categories. In other words, if, if, if we are... Um, if our worldview is one that can master knowledge through experiment, through the methods of basic science, this doesn't fall into a category that allows us to do that. It crosses over. You can't locate it. It is both physical and it is as if in another dimension at the same time. We can't get at it. The clients although they'll make it clear this is it's not a dream it's real it's altogether real i know a dream i wake up from a dream this is different i have knowledge of this but they they'll say but it's not this reality it comes through as if through uh, the scrim of a theater uh, front and enters into our reality and it is in that reality altogether real and it introduces them to a deeper under um, a deeper fabric of, of reality that lies beyond uh, this one it seems to me at the heart of what is called for now is that we ex allow this phenomenon to, through the questions we ask, to expand our notions of reality, to include unseen realities as perhaps even a deeper reality, but an, an other reality, not the, simply the objective physical world, and that we learn to value knowledge that comes from those realms. I was... Uh, an investor, a psychologist uh, in Mexico recently um, said uh, to me, and he was uh, only half joking, he says, if I can't measure it, it doesn't exist. And he was quite serious about that. But what this phenomenon, I think, along with many others, like the near-death experiences and out-of-body experiences, does it invites us to value knowledge that comes from the subtle realms. In other words, it, it, it asks us to credit our experiences, to develop criteria for how do we judge whether an experience can be uh, taken seriously. Is it because thousands of people are having the same experience? Well, you could say, well, all having the same delusion. Well, how do we decide? I think these, these people haven't known each other. They're doubtful about these experiences. I have certain criteria by which I decide this is, these experiences are to be taken seriously. It goes along with the physical evidence. It's that combination. But we don't have a methodology yet. And I think um, I'd like to close with the point that I don't think that this phenomenon is going to be proven. In other words, I think that the deepening of our understanding and knowledge, the expansion of ourselves in relation to it and other similar phenomena is going to occur by crediting and allowing other ways of knowing about reality. In other words, expanding the way we know and what we credit as important. I don't think it's going to yield its secrets to the frameworks of proof that we have developed to apply to phenomena that are purely in the material world. Thanks. Thank you. 
Bud Hopkins, as you probably all know, is the author, maybe most famously, of Intruders. It's a book. It's also a general theory of what's going on here. Bud Hopkins. I um, am very pleased to be here and flattered to be here, and uh, I would like to express my appreciation to John and to his associates and to Karen and those who planned this. I would just like to also say something about uh, my respect for John Mack, for his courage, for the difficulties that he's undergone in uh, bringing a very unconventional subject to the attention of uh, a university that perhaps uh, is overly frightened by something as new and dramatic as this, but I think any human being in this room would have to admit that if the UFO phenomenon is occurring, as the reports suggest, it's the most important event in human history. And if that's the case, I don't think any institution or organization is being very wise uh, to uh, oppose the investigation, the serious investigation of such a phenomenon. In order to discuss this intelligently, we must know that the data we're relying on is reliable data, is solid. The data, of course, comes mainly from the reports of the people who have had these experiences, plus a whole range of attendant physical evidence, which I don't want to go into at this point. Now, what do we know about the UFO experience in terms of the reliability of what the aliens say? And I use the word aliens for want of a better term. The first thing is that the aliens are extraordinarily deceptive and operate in a covert manner. There is no doubt about that. There is no possible way that anyone who's looked into this phenomenon can say anything to the contrary of that simply because we have a whole history of what we have to call uh, screen memories when the UFO occupants make us see things that are not there in order to hide the way they actually appear. The way the memory of the experience very, very often has been stolen from us uh, which is not only an act of theft, it's an act of deception, and it can't possibly really be defended so far as I'm concerned. Now, there are all kinds of wonderful stories to illustrate this sort of control that they can have over our perceptions. Uh, I was working with a woman once who uh, was recalling an experience. She's on the table inside a ship. There's a physical examination taking place. It's extremely painful, uh, demeaning, and so forth, and she is not only enraged and furious, but she's scared to death and she's undergoing pain. And the head alien, as we know from these accounts, often happens, walks over, puts his hand across her forehead, and she said the pain disappeared. She felt waves of the most profound love she has ever felt in her life. She said she would sacrifice her own children for the love that she felt for this being. It was just beyond anything she'd ever known. No pain, no anger, and total love. He walked away from her took his hand away, of course, the pain came back, she began to get angry again, she was hurting again, she was furious again, and he came back and he put his hand on her head and she would have again sacrificed her children for that love. Now, that kind of manipulation is, of course, something that's part and parcel with uh, the alien means of operating. At any rate, uh, this kind of deception goes on and on. Uh, people have been made to feel that they were themselves aliens in an early life made to see themselves as if they have alien hands and so forth. Uh, all kinds of imagery seems to be uh, played into people's heads. I know this totally sounds crazy. You have to read the background information supporting this. But I'm trying to start with what 
I assume many of you already know about the phenomenon. So the basic first point here is that uh, we can't trust the data that uh, we can't trust what the aliens are saying to us under any conditions. Uh, as a second major fact, we know what happens to individuals who, were, who are reporting abduction experiences psychologically. We know that they are psychologically scarred. The only set of psychological tests which, so, so far as I know, were ever done on this matter were done, uh, I was partly involved in this in 1981, Dr. Elizabeth Slater, a psychologist, tested a group of abductees or people reporting these experiences. She was not told the nature of the sample she was testing, anything about their UFO experiences, but she found that all of them shared three deficits psychologically. All had low self-esteem, all had a certain dissociation in their attitude towards their bodies, their physicality, their sexuality, and all had a lot of trouble trusting people. Well, at any rate, she pointed out when we later told her after she wrote a report the nature of the sample that she had tested and what they had experienced, and she said, though this doesn't prove anything, if these people had had the experiences they reported, uh, then these are precisely the kinds of deficits one would imagine would accrue. And um, she said it's very much like what happens when you get uh, a rape victim. Uh, now, the next thing is, are these experiences, and I'll try to be very brief, are these experiences transformational in any way? And of course they can be transformational in a wonderful way, provided they meet therapists, and a support group and other people who are associates in this field uh, who can lead them uh, through their experiences in such a way that they understand that they're not crazy, that there's no uh, blame to be uh, ascribed to them, and so forth. The therapist, the support group, and friends and family provide the safety net that create that transformational experience. I don't think there's any doubt about it. Uh, we want these people to become much more whole. We want them to feel a sense of healing. Uh, it's an extremely uh, delicate and difficult new kind of procedure of therapy that has to be uh, developed really at this point. I'm not a therapist myself, uh, unlike John, but I feel that what we do if we work with these people is a kind of, is a kind of de facto therapy. Will you sum it up by describing the nature of the reality plain that you think okay. in, that this is real in? Very good. The, the nature of the plane is this. The UFO phenomenon runs a, a tremendous 180-degree gamut from being totally physical, nuts and bolts. When the thing comes down, it could break the tree branches down from the top, leave marks on the ground. People are floated out of buildings, uh, are uh, scarred, their bodies are marked. The craft can show up on radar. They can be photographed, etc. Totally physical. And on the other end, totally paranormal. All the communication is telepathic. Uh, the uh, craft can be apparently unseeable at some points. We know that people can be floated through walls and they're actually missing. This is not an out-of-body experience. It's an out-of-the-house experience. The hardest thing, the hardest thing for uh, scientists to accept is the idea that it is both physical and so totally paranormal. The whole paradigm of what's possible, of course, has to be expanded and the last thing I'd like to do, uh, Chris, if I may, I'd like to read a short statement that a woman wrote, an abductee, uh, about her attitude, she's a psychotherapist, uh, how she has dealt with this kind of transformation. Uh, she said, we of the earth are in possession, due perhaps to our biology, of an innate humanness which is often translated into a deeply spiritual humanism. 
It's the basis of our moral sense of the feelings of caring, empathy, love, and responsibility we have for one another, for our children, and for the planet. From my experiences with the aliens, I've come to believe that their entire paradigm is radically different from ours and that our sense of right and wrong, good and bad, does not apply for them. They're very different from us, not only physically, but in their understandings, motives, goals, and purposes. I do not believe that they are the great redeeming power some may wish for, but only beings with a different set of principles. Therefore, we must assume responsibility for ourselves and each other. It places the burden of care for one another and for the planet squarely with each one of us. For what can we gain from them if not the understanding of our own nature as a species, using them for comparison? My curiosity about them is unbounded, as is my grief, confusion, and fear. But what I have found, what I return to each day, be it coping mechanism or epiphany, is that I want to immerse myself in my humanity, in my humanism, in my caring for other humans, for life on our planet, and for the Earth itself. And this statement of hers is a statement which I absolutely 100% endorse. Thank you very much. Thank you. Are there differences to probe here? Are there things you want to ask about each other's presentations? Okay, I, I had a, a question, John, when you talked about <clears throat> when you work with people and it takes on a deeper, more spiritual level and so forth. Um, the model that uh, presents itself to me is that we know these experiences happen from childhood on. And let's assume a giant pyramid of individuals. So let's assume at the bottom of this pyramid are all the people who uh, either die along the way or have terrible psychological problems, become <clears throat> substance abusers or whatever it is. Um, up a little further are people who have had more understanding, uh, counselors, parents, whatever, have been listening to them, perhaps they were stronger, and perhaps they're handling these things a little better with fewer psychological problems. Uh, you go higher in the pyramid and you find a few people, fewer, uh, who are lucky and they have run into a John Mack or David Jacobs or many of the people doing this kind of work and have been helped by them and met a support group and they're doing much better. And finally, at, at that top, <clears throat> we find a group, a small group, that has managed to somehow transform themselves uh, with all of that support. Uh, and in a certain sense, at that top of that apex of the, of the uh, triangle, are those lucky few have survived intact, more or less, and down at the bottom are the vast majority who are having a lot of trouble with this. Uh, I can't look at that myself with, and get granted any kind of moral uh, approval. I find that extraordinarily upsetting. And if this is what the alien phenomenon is putting human beings through, I don't want any part of it. Uh, my feeling has always been that uh, they may be here ultimately for good purposes or be ecologically concerned or whatnot, they're doctors to heal the planet, but I don't like the bedside manner in the meantime. And uh, so that's why I find it very difficult uh, to, to look at that in any kindly way. I think I've seen over the 22 years I've been doing this, I've seen far too much pain, uh, far too much damage, far too much psychological, even physical damage done to people. And I don't think that this is deliberate. I don't think the UFO occupants are intending it, but I've just seen too much pain to... Uh, indulge it with the idea that somehow it's going to all turn out okay. That's my basic okay. issue. John Mack. Um, I guess I'd like to try to take the discussion out of the question of uh, whether these, this is benign uh, or malevolent. I, I don't really see it that way. Uh, and I don't 
Uh, don't for a moment deny that people have had um, deeply troubling, uh, traumatic, disturbing experiences, have uh, in rare occasions have uh, contemplated uh, suicide. Um, I, there's an irony here in a way, Bud, because I, uh, I'm supposed to be the psychiatrist here, right? I'm supposed to see the, the really troubled, disturbed people, and it almost seems as if uh, you're seeing the worst cases uh, from the mental health standpoint, and I'm seeing the kind of more um, sort of seeking ones, which may have to do with who we are and how we work and what goes on. So I, I don't want to get into, I don't want to give the impression that I think this is, as sometimes I'm quoted saying, this is all sort of good and it's enlightened and it's all going to turn out for the, for the better and it's uh, simply godlike. No, uh, this is highly traumatic for many people. It is deeply disturbing. First of all, it's traumatic in simply the helplessness being taken against the will. It's traumatic uh, because it's, this is still not acceptable in this culture, so people are isolated. They can't talk about it. They don't get sympathy like they would for more uh, generally considered forms of abuse. Alien abuse is not something that you can go talking about with your, even with your parents and colleagues, although this may be changing some. Then it is ontologically traumatic. This just can't be. It shocks everything people believe about the world. And then finally, it isn't over when it's over. It can recur at any time. Or parents are troubled that they can't protect their children. All that is true. Uh, but at the same time, uh, I don't find that the people that have these experiences uh, they tend to be way over on the healthy end of the spectrum of people that I've seen. I, I mean it in terms of their ability to handle it, the fact that a little goes a long way, that they seem to be able to integrate it with a, a minimum of help, that they often will feel themselves part of some life-giving process. It's not simply traumatic. And that if they stay with it, the whole quality of the experience changes. The quality of the relationship with the beings, uh, again in quotes, changes. So, um, again, I, I don't want to leave the impression that I don't uh, 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 know the suffering that goes on, but I, but something else occurs. Uh, Can I ask you both a question? Yeah. Starting with Bud, but you started by saying that if the UFOs are real, this is the most important event in the history of the species. Uh, big if, but it's a plausible conclusion. However, I, I find it somewhat, uh, you, you've got the telescope uh, pointed in the wrong direction here. You talk about wanting to help heal the people who received the message. That seems to me uh, utterly illogical in terms of your premise that this is the most, if it's the most important event in human history, if we're getting a message from someplace else about the fundamental nature of reality, I mean, to be blunt about it, who cares that it hurt a few people on the way? What about the message? What is the message? How do we know it's true? You know, what's the story here? If, if, it's if, if they're real, and this is the most important news uh, of, you know, of human history, what the hell is the news? Well, of course, uh, <clears throat> the reason we do investigations is to find the answer to those questions. We're in the middle of an investigation. <clears throat> I'll be the last person to sit here and say, we know the answers to those questions. What is going to happen here? We don't know what the end term is, uh, so I'm urging an investigation into it. Uh, it's kind of amusing, uh, as John probably knows, that uh, there have been several different people who we've both been seeing. And uh, one young man said to me 
that he said, it's funny, bud, I come to New York to see you when I need to feel uh, stable and grounded, and I go to see John when I need to feel excited and uplifted. And uh, We could just end the evening right there. Which, right? which I, I think... Uh, <laughs> I think that's funny considering that I'm the artist and, and he's a psychiatrist here. I think there's a mix-up here. But uh, the point is, obviously, I uh, work with people in, the terms, in terms of a certain attitude of triage. Whoever's bleeding the worst uh, gets seen first by me. As you work with them and as they come to see this and so forth, then the spiritual interpretation comes in, then they feel better about it. But that, again, is due to John's intervention. What you have to ask yourself is, if these people have been dealing with the aliens on their own for 25 or 35 years or whatever, and they're devastated, and there's a, there's a final, ultimately very good uh, outcome, then I think John should get the credit, not the aliens. Well, there's something a little weird going on here, because, um, I mean, I, I come from a very secular, uh, rationalist background. You know, people say, well, this is John's sort of religious, spiritual viewpoint. Uh, or seeking or whatever. That's not how I, at least not how I saw myself growing up. I saw myself, my, my father was an English professor, very academic. Uh, the whole notion of God was rather uh, treated as uh, we know better than that. That's, uh, we read the Bible in the household as purely as literature, not as a spiritual document. Now you could say, well, I had this sort of hidden hunger for spirituality so that you know, it emerges, but, but I, I was very slow to see this phenomenon in those terms. I, my, my sense is I learned this from the people, not that I brought that to them. Your whole sense, uh, as you said, was that this is, this is a kind of information that defies our basic categories that we think in, certainly you in the medical scientific world. I gotta say, I'm, I'm struck uh, that this is uh, extremely familiar in terms of the categories that most of us live in. You say it's counterintuitive, but the images of aliens that people report to you are very familiar stuff on television, in popular movies. What if these things aren't really counterintuitive or countercultural at all, but they're basically the oldest myths of uh, of, of humanity just reappearing in fresh well, form. Well, there are a thousand reasons <clears throat> why that's not the case. And it has to do with the fact that <clears throat> UFOs were studied first by the Air Force as a Nazi secret weapon during World War II. Nobody thought they were godly. Well, that doesn't godly. make them well, out of space. That makes them no, no, out they, of Germany. that made them physical. Okay. Physical. Okay. Uh, so we start with the idea that there are physical things flying around that accompany planes, with, and then we find that they can be photographed, they turn up on radar, and no one knows what they are. There's no religious belief attached to them. There's nothing of myth attached to them. These things leave marks on the ground when they land. They have a total physicality. Now, you talked about the image of the aliens being familiar. Why? And that's because those images were presented very strongly and clearly in the film uh, Close Encounters, uh, Steven Spielberg movie, because his a special effects people went to Alan Hynek and the Center for UFO Studies to get an account of what these things actually look like. And we get the same drawings from people in countries that are people are totally illiterate and so forth. John, would you take a crack at the, the whole question of whether this indeed is counterintuitive or in fact deeply sort of culture affirmative? The abduction phenomenon doesn't fall nicely into any kind of Judeo-Christian mythic structure with which I'm familiar from my reading of the Bible. It, 
it actually goes against it. It's, it's rather at, at the most uh, obvious manifest level. Uh, in fact, uh, it's often called, it must come from the devil because it's so unimaginatively uh, sort of real and crude. You know, little guys with big black eyes or luminous beings or reptilian ones or insect-like ones coming in, taking people against their will, leaving marks on their bodies. Uh, at the first blush, it's rather anything but the glorious mythic narratives of a, of a formal religion. It doesn't resemble it at all. It, I think it does defy categories, and it does call for a discipline, that, as Bud is saying, that is rather new. Now, I want, this media thing comes up all the time while people are getting it from the media. Let me ask you, if you see somebody who is deeply depressed, for instance, and they watch a program uh, on, say, uh, Nightline or they, uh, on one of the self-help uh, programs, and they talk about depression, would you argue, and that person comes in deeply depressed, that they invented the depression because they happened to see something on the television? No. What they might do is they'd bring in a few terms that would help them give language to what they had seen. But I don't have the experience as a clinician of people inventing a powerful, deeply held experience from which you cannot shake them because they happen to see a few images on the te television set. It doesn't work like that. In, as Bud says, in this phenomenon, the media follow the research. Somebody once said to me, uh, oh, this whole abduction phenomenon, is, it's like a cult. And I said, it's very interesting to bring that up because this is the precise opposite of a cult. A cult like, let's say, the Reverend Moon or something like that is all beliefs and no miracles. And we're all miracles and no beliefs because we literally do not know what this entails, what is going to happen next. Uh, we don't know really the, the physical nature of this. We know it has, a, it has totally physical properties, at least some of the time. Uh, it is, the, the, the basic thing is that all of humanity, I think, wants to put this phenomenon into the gods or devils category. We, we have a, a, the old paradigm is that there are demons out there and there are godlike beings out there, and this, by God, we're going to make it fit. Hey, and it doesn't fit. We're going to end up agreeing and fighting with him. It doesn't fit. Yeah. Yeah. It's okay. Good. Let me just say, this is the point uh, at the on the connection with go to phone calls, which is to say, <laughs> go to, um, you know, Linda in Wilburn. But uh, <laughs> we're going to ask people to, if there are questions, and I hope there are, or brickbats or, or experiences or whatever, uh, we'd like you to feel free to join the conversation. On this mic, please. I want to ask for you to kind of um, summarize and synthesize from the reports that the abductees tell you of the behavior of the aliens, what the motivation and the um, modus operandi of the aliens seems to be. From what I know of it, it seems as though these are um, scientific expeditions that treat the abductees like we treat uh, laboratory animals, and partly partly um, breeding expeditions, which again treat the people they gather as uh, sources of um, biology rather than feeling creatures. Uh, can you add to, to that casual impression of mind? After all, you said there were 600 cases. You know, what does it sum up to be? Well, I, you. I, uh, Good question. What you've been saying, of course, I 100% concur with. Uh, this is, uh, people do feel like they're laboratory specimens, involuntary specimens in someone's ongoing experiment. And the breeding issues and so forth, uh, their interest in uh, 
human DNA and so forth. All of this is, is part and parcel of, of the reports that we've gotten from around the world. But I think there's another issue that's also interesting. They are uh, extraordinarily curious about human emotions, our interior life, an emotional life that they don't seem to have themselves. And very, very often they will um, demonstrate, they, they will present imagery or little scenes or something, who knows how this is done, as if they are uh, creating kind of projective tests to see how human beings respond. Uh, many human beings think that, uh, many abductees think that when they're shown things, it's predictive, it shows the future. But essentially, uh, it, it seems more logical, although who knows, that uh, rather than predicting anything, they want to see our reaction. For instance, as John said, they'll show us images of devastation of the earth. Uh, they might be extremely curious to see how we respond to the idea of uh, a damaged planet. They seem to be very, very curious about how human beings relate to one another. They seem to be at the most basic human level. They're most interested, it would seem, in all the things that make us particularly human. They're not interested in our water supply or our atomic weapons or anything like that. Uh, they seem to be, thank God, interested in the things that most make us human. John, do you want to take a crack at that? Again, I'd like to stress that this, much of this really has to do with uh, kind of different experiences with the experiencers. Uh, I know that uh, many of the, uh, this kind of cold indifference that, that Bud describes, where we're just kind of laboratory animals, that's there. There's no question. And yet, at the same time, uh, I've had very discriminating uh, people who describe actual evolving, deep, profound, loving bonds between the humans and these beings that last over time, that some experiences describe as many times more powerful than anything they can feel on Earth. They have, uh, someone will describe a mate that is occurring in this other, ex uh, in this other reality. And uh, again, uh, in my experience, this uh, showing, for example, of apocalyptic scenes of devastation of the environment, of the earth, of the pollution, is not simply to test our reactions, but is a kind of desperate effort to communicate something about us to ourselves. It is not apparently the way the universe works that we're going to be saved as people. That, well, they, why don't they save us if they can see all that? Well, it doesn't work like that. It works to open up our consciousness in some way to what's going on. Now, I have a funny feeling just here with you and that we're going to have to go further with this ontological question because we're slipping from a into a kind of literalism about this. One of our most fundamental categories is, is this inside, is it outside, is it us, is it them? And even that category is up for questioning, it seems to me, in, in this phenomenon. Back to the callers, please. I just feel if the flying saucers exist, we stand to lose a lot more by not taking them seriously than we lose by taking them seriously should they prove not to exist. And it's a, a really shame on all of us that we don't take I it agree. seriously. Very good. Please. I just have a brief statement and a question. Um, first, I'd speak for myself, and I believe most other people here, we thank you for your courage and bringing this topic to the mainstream. And my question is this. Um, you folks seem to be examining this issue on a psychological level. Um, have you given any thoughts or 
have others that you're aware of giving thoughts to why these individuals are targeted for abduction um, on a physical level, DNA or chemical? Thank you. I have seen no, uh, nothing that I could pinpoint that would suggest a particular person has been abducted uh, other than we do recognize that uh, children of abductees are likely to, at least some of them, be abducted as if a particular bloodline is being studied, but we don't know uh, why that particular group. Uh, I have uh, people from all races, uh, uh, people from the Orient, from the West, from South America, North America, from uh, Europe. Uh, one of the most recent people I've been working with had all of his experiences in Israel. Uh, abduction experience. It is an international global phenomenon and there's no way that anybody has been able to figure out anything that would suggest why per particular people are targeted. But we do know uh, the psychological damage is pretty similar no matter where the people are abducted. Hi. Um, it seems to me that there's two issues here. One is the detail of um, how these abductees are abducted and um, what the motivation or goal is of the aliens, but I don't really know if we can ever know that answer and can actually distract from the bigger question, which is this changes our whole world view and it, it changes our way of interpreting reality. And I'm wondering from John, um, you keep bringing up the issue of our, um, the ontology of it and what is it that you want us to take away from this evening of how, since we're agents of interpreting life, we can't, there is no objective reality. It's, it's us as interpreters. So what do we take away from this evening that is part of your understanding of this experience? I, I suppose it's, uh, it's curiosity to ask, to deepen the question, to um, uh, perhaps to, to be um, open to the idea that there may be other realities, that, the, that this Grand Canyon we've created between the so-called other realms, the fourth dimension, the subtle realm, the implicate order, that that world is not forever separate from our world. That there are people that, I'm not saying that, that it's separate for all of us, but for what we've been using this term mainstream. In the mainstream reality, that world is the world of, of the subjective. It's the world of myth. It's the world of religion. But it doesn't show up. It isn't supposed to cross over and manifest physically in our world. And when it does do so, then the person who says it's physical says, well, the evidence isn't good enough, or it isn't real. That, that barrier, that that those domains are supposed to be separate. And I guess one of the things I'd like to have this evening uh, create for us is that those are not separate domains, that there, there is interchange, that it can show up physically. Uh, Bud says, well, it's how much it takes to convince somebody. I don't think the physical evidence by itself is going to give us, it's not going to give us a smoking gun. It's inviting us to stretch, to reach it. I sometimes call this an outreach program from the cosmos to the spiritually impaired. In other words, it, it, it is cracking our consciousness to open to the fact that there's a vast range of realities out there that we can experience if we can uh, crack this shell that we've created through the constrictions of, the, of, our, of our mindset. Uh, yeah, I'd like to uh, add something to this in terms of what yeah. we would like people. When I work with people, 
uh, and we're doing, say, a hypnotic session, and they're in the middle of the experience, perhaps they're on an examining table, and they're reliving it. I will say to them very often, just as a kind of therapeutic device, if you could speak to the aliens right now, what would you ask them? What would you say to them? In other words, you have now total freedom. What would you say to them? This is, of course, very important. What they generally want to say is, leave me alone. Leave us alone. And then they will say, explain what you want from us. What do you need? I would help you if you tell me. Why are you doing this? Why me? And one of the reasons I do this is I'm essentially wanting people to feel empowered in their own humanity. As I read in that statement, uh, one of the most wonderful things is people really rediscover their, the richness of the human spirit and their own spirit and their own resources. By contrast to the UFO occupants, who it seems to me uh, are the spiritually impaired that are here to, let's say, uh, absorb what they can of the things that are the most wonderful things about human beings. The fact that we love one another, we have emotions, we have jokes, we make love, we have sex, we care for our babies, uh, we care for our planet. They seem to be in awe of those human resources. And if there's anything I would like people to come away with tonight, it's the fact that they have a new sense of the specialness of being human beings and the fact that whatever this is from the outside or whatever its ultimate goals are, uh, it's a poor, thin spiritual uh, being in relation to human beings and the richness of the human spirit. No, I, I, but I'm, I'm not, a humanist. I'm not saying that aliens are these spiritual beings. I'm saying that the, for complex reasons that we're sort of struggling with tonight, the effect of this is often some kind of spiritual growth or expansion. I'm not saying the aliens are these wonderful spiritual beings. No, no way. You know, it's interesting. I hear what you just said. I sort of have a yeah, no, and then yes. You know, like uh, I, I sort of half agree with you. Like, leave us alone, no. Some people, yes, leave us alone. Others feel deeply aggrieved when their experiences stop, if the experiences are of the more deeply bonding, connected way. Where I totally agree with you is that they are absolutely fascinated with our physicality, our spirituality, our love, our sexuality, our sensuality. I also see us learning a lot from opening our consciousness to this other realm. So I, I think it's, we're kind of, well. Anyway. I just wanted to say one more thing is, yeah. I think that we're equally fascinated with them. I don't see there's an imbalance here. I mean, we're all yeah. here because we're also curious and maybe yeah. we would do the same thing. I'm I not don't... really interested in the aliens at all. I'm interested in us, but I really don't care about the aliens. I don't like what they do. You know, there's a term for this. Uh, actually, you know, the, the philo philosopher uh, uh, Michael Zimmerman, you know him, right? He calls this anthropocentric humanism, right? so, which is a good thing in a way. Uh, my name is Karen. I'm an experiencer. And I, just for the record, am working currently with, with John. But, Bud, my question is mostly, or my statement is mostly for you. Well, I have all due respect for John and his talents as a therapist and a psychotherapist. He's a very wonderful man and a wonderful listener in the professional relationship that I've come to know him. He has, not by any standard, been the one responsible for my spiritual growth in this experience. What he and his colleagues provide for me is an opportunity to stand or sit down in a room for a couple of hours and get rid of a lot of stuff that I can't tell to anybody else. 
I don't think that we're ever going to know, or at least for a long time, what this experience is about. Um, I was a Rush Limbaugh watching, right wing, very square box, very three-dimensional, very much, I don't think, you know, maybe somewhere out in Arizona somewhere 30 years ago, some guy maybe got abducted, I don't know. It not, didn't have anything to do with my reality. I think that each experiencer who's going through this knows that this is very much an individual experience. And each person, depending on where they are in their life, where they were with their parents, where they were with their relationships with everything, is going to come out with something different. For as difficult as it, as it is for us as human beings to not have boxes, it's very important in this experience to not have a box because we don't have any answers. We have nothing but questions. And I experience terror and I experience joy. And I experience them simultaneously. One minute I'm this and the next I'm that. And I know you're familiar with that. But I think it's very important that something is obviously definitely happening. And if we close ourselves to it, we will be missing perhaps one of the most incredible experiences that mankind is to develop. And I think it's important that we stay open, period. Thank you. And I'm, I know that you, Bud, and I think, John, you also realize that, that there was a long research tradition in ufology before Bud opened up this field of abduction studies in the early 80s. And there's been a lot of criticism and controversy within the field of ufology about the research paradigm that you both follow, especially in that you rely too much on hypnosis. John, do you want to comment, particularly on the hypnosis question? Well, I, I've tried to... Um so demystify the hypnosis question. Uh, there are traditions in hypnosis that go back to Mesmer, which has the sort of theatricality related to it, the deep trance, the person lying down, uh, a certain kind of uh, power the hypnotist has over the person, the idea that they're being suggested to. And these traditions die hard, and it maybe even the practice of them dies hard. Uh, what I try to do uh, is, so I don't even use the term anymore, uh, first of all, the great bulk of the information I get is from ordinary, what is called ordinary conversation, not from hypnosis. I will do sometimes do what is called regressions or hypnosis, but really is nothing more than a simple relaxation exercise. You simply try to stop the flood of social stimuli to let the person just relax and say and, and uh, open to the recall of some event in their lives. It, and it's not particularly hokey. And what comes up in that context, uh, as Bud says, is no more or less consistently reliable than, uh, or consistently distorted than the efforts to make themselves look good and to speak to what makes sense to them in ordinary conversations. And also one thing can be said is that in every hypnotic regression session that I do, I build into it dozens of test questions that uh, can help me try to lead the person to see if they're leadable away from what happens to be uh, truth that I know about the patterns or about other witnesses in the same case or whatnot. So you can test it internally, and I do this consistently. Please. Please. Have you looked into any of the channeled, so-called channeled writings or telepathically received information. Oh, oh, my, my issue of uh, sometimes I've, I've had people begin to channel a couple of times. And uh, typically once uh, a woman began to channel and she started speaking in a very strange voice and she was sort of an alien from wherever. And I, of course, 
did what I usually do in a case like that. And I said, this is very important. I need to know this. Um, what can you tell me about the UFO base in the waters of Lake Owenoko, which I had just made up as a name? That wasn't the name, whatever it was. And she gave me a full account of the base down there. Every channeler will tell you, don't listen to the other channelers. You know, I've got the truth. I, I, don't think, think I don't think that's fair to channeling, but I, I really don't. I don't. I don't use channeling because I, I have enough trouble already. Okay, but <laughs> uh, but I'm not. But I think we need ways of trying to decide how to use that information and be critical about it because we don't have any way to access whatever that other, if it is an other intelligence, is. How do you evaluate? If the per, for example, if the person is channeling something that they, you can show that there's just no way they could have known that from their Earth reality. That would be, that's interesting. But people don't usually take the trouble to establish that. Um, I'm really grateful that the three of you are here and Pierre has gotten us all together because I think this is just certainly stretching my mind a lot and really interesting. Um, and one of the things that just keeps coming to me as a theme is I notice the way I keep going back to wanting to find the answer and figure out the thing. And it seems like that's a theme that we keep coming back to in different forms. like. Who are these people? Why are they here? What's their goal? What are we supposed to learn from them? If there were a being of some sort coming from somewhere other than the Earth that wanted to like, do a reconnaissance and get to know these two-legged creatures on this planet, if they came with this idea that they were going to find out the answer about these two-legged creatures and what they're about, and they send a little committee, they'd probably have a debate much like this one, where they'd be going, well, what they're really about is they're really about something they're calling science and some sort of study. And somebody else would say, no, they're really about using everything up there as fast as they can. And somebody else would say it's all about emotions. And, um, and maybe those people out there are at least as diverse as we are, only more so, because they've got these interdimensional awarenesses that we don't, that they're kind of knocking on us and saying, Hey, but there's more. You can that's, do this too. That's not exactly a question, but I wonder if. Uh, well, I just like to. It's more a comment. That, that state of uh, sort of uncertainty, confusion, stretching questions, kind of like what I would have liked to answer to the person that asked what I wanted people to get out of the evening is to have them sort of end up where you are right now. You know. I wish you'd both sort of give us a minute wrap, sum up what we've learned and what we ought to be thinking about as we depart. I, I'm, I've taken a complete pledge for myself against any judgment on my own part. I'd love to hear judgments from you, though, about what kind of ground we've covered and where we are. Uh, in terms of what we've accomplished tonight, I think one thing is that we've shown that in terms of the raw data, uh, John and I really have exactly the same kinds of material presented uh, by the populations that we've worked with over these many years. Uh, I think that the basic difference comes in terms of the interpretation, the spin put on the experiences. And I think that, um, in general, uh, I suppose John is urging a more, um, a greater curiosity on the part of, of uh, the people he works with about the aliens themselves and about what uh, their intentions may be and the whole issue that he's mentioned about uh, uh, ecological concerns and so on. Uh, I tend to, uh, by contrast, I think, try to accent uh, living well as the best revenge, so to speak, uh, trying to get people to face the richness of their own lives 
their own uh, resources, their own inner strengths, and to put the aliens as much out of their minds as they possibly can to try to live a normal life. Uh, there's no way, of course, when you tell somebody who's been through this to put the aliens out of their mind. No one ever possibly can uh, because it's too enormous a fact. But I think that uh, I want this to be a world in which uh, the human spirit is central and it's our deepest and most important value and we're not uh, looking in a needy way uh, to some external force that is as mysterious and elusive and misleading as uh, the UFO occupants. I simply don't trust them. And uh, I feel that what we have to learn is what we have within us to begin with and what other humans can give us. And that's as simple as I can state it as uh, uh, my position on this whole crazy business. Yeah, I think I feel less um, kind of protective and anthropocentric than than Bud does. You know, as I, I think that um, uh, I don't see the, I, I don't feel that this is, is unwelcome in general. I know that it's traumatic for many people, and I think that, is, as we've said, that we need to work with people's uh, distresses. But I think that the phenomenon has such vast implications for us in terms of who we are in, in our universe. And it, it seems to me that in a certain sense, anything that can kind of shatter this arrogance around the notion that we're the superior intelligence alone in the cosmos is, in general, a rather good thing. In other words, that, that, uh, um, that it can open us to vast other realms of reality that are far beyond this immediate, however pleasant, uh, Earth environment. I think that this phenomenon insofar as it undercuts and, and does some damage to that anthropocentrism is a good thing. That doesn't mean I don't think human beings can be wonderful and have a wonderful resilient spirit, but uh, uh, I think we, are, uh, we also have um, a tremendous kind of um, cosmic egoism, which uh, this phenomenon has a way of uh, uh, rather uh, challenging, to say the least. So I, that's kind of where I am with it. I think Excellent. I think those are two eloquent summations. Mm -hmm. Question here, please. A lot of the people, most of the people that you seem to have interviewed, you know, aren't, aren't, don't expect to be abducted, and it seems that there's a lot of trauma, etc. What about people like me who sometimes feel like, hey, I might want to meet an alien? Have you ever interviewed people? like that? Are there any people that you've interviewed that have actually wanted to meet them? Yes, but uh, I've never been able to arrange it for anybody. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. And thank you all. <laughs>